Lord, I pray that uh, you would meet us in your scripture. Lord, it was written thousands of years ago, but it is powerful. It is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so we, we don't place ourselves over it. Instead, we come and we sit at its feet and we choose yeah, to humble our hearts and our minds so that we may hear from you. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Last week, we looked at this, um, at yeah, the death match that's going on inside every single one of us. Uh, and in the blue corner, we talked about how we have slavery. And uh, in the red corner, we have freedom in Christ. And this is kind of like a symbolic representation of what's going on in you right now. In you right now, as you're sat here, this is going on in your heart. And we saw that that um, slavery comes in two forms. It comes in the slavery of legalism, where we kind of walk around with a list of, of approved activities that we somehow think makes God love us more. Um, or we can fall into the slavery of license, uh, where we kind of rip the checklist up, we scatter it you know, to the wind, and then we live however the heck we want. Um, after all, we're saved, and that's it. You know, We don't have to worry about anything else. Uh, now, the funny thing is that both of these slaveries, even, even though they head in kind of different um, ways, so you, know, you have legalism heading this way, you've had, you have license heading this way, but like a circle, they eventually meet because they end up achieving the same thing. They minimize the value of Jesus and the cross. So legalism and license actually meet, and they end up achieving the same thing. So last Sunday, we focused on the blue corner, this um, slavery, and through, through Galatians chapter 5, we got to know a bit more about who this fighter is, uh, and we learned that slavery is a burden. We learned that slavery devalues Christ. We learned that a slave is not free to pick and choose which parts of the law they're legalistic to, but if you sign up for one, then you sign up for everything. If you want to be legalistic, about this one thing, then you have to be legalistic about all of it. Um, we also learned that uh, a slave is, is alienated from Christ. We learned that a slave has fallen away from grace. And I said that Paul, as he writes this, he's talking about people who are Christians, who are Jesus followers, and he's using language saying that they are alienated from Christ, that they've fallen away from uh, uh, from grace. And then we also learn that slavery often surprises us and comes out of nowhere. You know, we said um, about that person who kind of runs out of their lane and they kind of knock us off, off our rhythm. And so it uh, surprises us, comes out of no- nowhere. But if we continue in that slavery, it's a choice. We also learn that slavery is not from Jesus. And we learn that slavery is effective because it's really really pervasive. It spreads and it's really subtle. We don't necessarily notice it. So this blue opponent is a strong opponent. Slavery is not something to be trifled with or laughed away or just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it means what it means. And so it's absolutely vital that if we are Jesus followers, that we live out this this, this, uh, this word in Galatians 5 verse 1, to stand firm. Um, so 
even though we are set free from the eternal consequences of sin, and even though we have this new nature, we still have this old nature, uh, this old ingrained habitual way of doing things. And if you want to know what that looks like, just wait for a day that you're stressed or you're under pressure, and you will find out what your old nature, what the old you looks like. So slavery is serious, but it's not the only option, and that is the hope of the gospel. Uh, and, and, and so the hope that, that Jesus offers, and the Bible offers, and the church offers, is freedom in Christ. And this is this young lad, or this old lad, because freedom in Christ has been around for millennia, uh, but that's him in the red corner here. But, you know, so the question here is, how do we, how do we fight our way into freedom? How do, we, how do we take a good punch against slavery in our lives? And that's what we're looking at this morning from Galatians chapter 5 and some of Galatians chapter 6 as we wrap up our series on Galatians. So first, we need to uh, recognize that Jesus is the one who sets us free. I said this last week, but it's worth hearing again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is Christ who sets us free. This is absolutely vital for us to know, so that we don't get back into another type of legalism that we're somehow earning our freedom. But even though Jesus is the one who sets us free, it's the Spirit who keeps us free. Okay, so Jesus sets us free. The Spirit is the one who keeps us free. Jesus is the one who executes the initial crisis intervention moment. Okay, when you're at your worst place and you have no hope and Christ comes in and he shines his light and his hope and his glory. You are saved, you are redeemed, you are renewed. But then it's the spirit who acts like the weekly AA meeting where you show up and he helps you along throughout the rest of your life. Jesus is our liberator, but the spirit is kind of like our life coach. Uh, so verse, verse 5 and 6 of Galatians chapter 5 actually use language that helps us understand the uh, roles of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It says, For through the Spirit, through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, I just love all, all those fours, you know, for through the Spirit, for in Christ. So they're obviously linked, but they're separate. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So we experience freedom. Maybe uh, we might say positionally in Christ, but then we know continued freedom experientially through the Holy Spirit. And, and so this is why Jesus, right before he went you know, to the cross, he said these rather confusing words. He said, um, very truly, I tell you, it is for you, your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. John 16 verse 7. So Jesus knew that he had to physically die on the cross and physically rise again from the dead so that the law and sin would be defanged and declawed so that grace could replace the law. But once he died and rose again, he needed to leave. Why? So that, so that the Spirit could come and spiritually maintain that freedom that Jesus won for us. 
You see, ever since Jesus came as a baby, ever since Jesus became human, Jesus has had what's known as a body of flesh and blood. And he still has that now, even though, even though it's a glorified one. So Jesus is physically in heaven, and I've just been wrestling through this, and I don't have an answer yet, but does this mean that if Jesus is in heaven, I think that what we get from John and what we get here is that if Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, he's not here with us. He's not able to be with us. And I don't want to use words like he's limited because, of course, he's not. He's all-powerful. But there's something there that Jesus is there that he's not able to be here and that because he's not able to be here, he sends you know, the Holy Spirit who, who um, maybe communicates uh, um, spiritually Jesus' f- physical presence. Okay, it's pretty incredible. This is why Jesus said that it's for our good that he went away. Um, this author, J.D. Walt, says that the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven, and the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus' disciples in heaven as it is on earth. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And so the Holy Spirit is here in this place maintaining our freedom. Jesus set us free. The Holy Spirit keeps us free. And he does this. He keeps us free by bringing about the fruit of the new creation in us, the the, uh, fruits of this new kingdom, the love and the joy and the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if Jesus has done all this work on the cross in the past, and if the Holy Spirit is doing all this work in, a, in, in us now, then surely it follows that all that we have to do is to get out of his way and to let him do his work. He'll renew us. But that's not how it works, actually. God, the Holy Spirit, is looking, is looking to partner with people. He's looking for active participants to work with people who... Who, who opt in to what he is up to, this, this renewal. And so what that means for us, friends, is that there are things that we can do, practical, practical things that we can do, uh, that we can regularly live out, that will create this sort of fertile soil for the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our lives. Now, I know that when Wendy is working in the garden, that she does not congratulate herself for the mystery of photosynthesis. You know, or, or the mystery of water osmosis. You know, that's all Wendy, right? Or, you know, the germination. You know, that, that's, that's not her, that's, that it's not her place, you know, to pat herself on the back and say, that's my, that's my responsibility, right? That's not hers. But she is responsible for placing that plant in the soil or in the place that will give it the best chance of success with access to sunlight, with access you know, to drainage, with uh, water, uh, but not too much water, and so on and so on. And so ultimately, in the same way that Wendy can't take responsibility uh, for the success of the plants, but... but And so we can't ultimately take credit for our growth, but we are responsible. We can't take credit for our growth, but we are responsible 
And so in our passage today, uh, we see five practices, five mindsets, and if we prioritize them, then we will see the fruit of freedom in our lives. In fact, we won't be able to stop the Holy Spirit. He will bring about a bumper crop in our lives. So first, we walk by the Spirit, 516. Second, we are led, led by the Spirit. Uh, 518, third, we keep in step with the Spirit, 525. Fourth, we sow to the Spirit, 6, 7 to 9. And fifth, we, walk, we wait in the Spirit, uh, 5 verse 5. We walk in the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, we sow to the Spirit, and we wait in the Spirit. This, 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 this chapter is all about yeah, the Holy Spirit. And as these practices become reality in our lives, then the Spirit causes our lives to bear fruit, the fruit of freedom. So rather than look individually at each of these, what I want to do is actually thematically group them together to allow these concepts you know, to play off each other, um, either by contrast or maybe complementing each other, so that they shine even brighter. So the first group of freedom practices uh, reminds me of a journey. It reminds me of a hike. So we're going to call this uh, hiking to freedom, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. This all has the idea of a journey of moving somewhere, of a hike, hiking to freedom. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 16 says this, So I say, walk, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And then chapter 5, verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then chapter 5, 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's interesting, eh, how that verse, which kind of ends off the chapter, that the contrast to keeping in step with the Spirit is provoking each other and is envying each other. So, walking by the Spirit. This simply means telling him that you need him that you cannot live this life alone. This is as practical as it gets, walking by the Spirit in reliance on him, recognizing that he is there, and that and if you walk by the Spirit, if you walk in God's power, then God's promise is that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the, the uh, sexual immorality and the impurity and the debauchery, the idolatry and the witchcraft, the hatred and the discord and the jealousy and the fits of rage and selfish ambition and dissensions and factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies. If any of these have a hold on you, then you need to start walking by the Spirit, saying to him, I need you, how I need you. And it's not just about walking by the Spirit. It's also about allowing the Spirit to lead you. So, he, so you're walking in his power and he's leading you at the same time. So if how this works is like this. If Jesus is at the right hand of God and if the Spirit is mediating Jesus' presence to you, then if you refuse to allow the Spirit to lead you, then you are rejecting the Lordship of Christ. When the Spirit speaks to your spirit, 
when he whispers words of warning or words of encouragement or words of hope or words of conviction, do you listen to him? Do you allow his words to sink in? And do you obey them? Now, these aren't usually words that you can hear. They are usually senses or feelings, maybe convictions or weights or a burden. That's usually how it works with me. I feel a burden and a weight, and I know I've got to get things right with the Lord. This is how he leads us. When we read the word of God and we know that God is saying something to us. This is being led by the Spirit. This is living in the freedom for which Christ freed you, for which Christ saved you. So that's walking by the Spirit. And, uh, and that's being led, led by the Spirit. Thirdly, keeping in step with the Spirit. What a wonderful image. In chapter 5, verse 25, Paul seems to say that just because you're living in the spirit, it doesn't mean that you're keeping in step with him. So they're, you know, they're actually two rather different things. And keeping in step with the spirit has this sense of in the moment radar consciousness of, of, of him being there step by step by step. I'm aware of you. I'm aware of you. I'm aware of you. There's this book uh, called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, and that's what he did. And he said, every time my mind would wander from God, he said, I wouldn't necessarily give myself a hard time. Instead, I would just allow myself to return into his presence and into the consciousness of God, just as he was washing pots in the kitchen of the monastery. And it's keeping in step with the Spirit that allows us to deal with sin in real time. We don't need to wait until this list of sins is so long um, that we feel so awful that we finally come to God. Um, Instead, we can be nimble, we can be fast, We can be responsive. We can repent in that moment and then we can keep going in step with the Spirit. Listen to these words from the prophet Isaiah. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. Then you will desecrate your idols. You will deal with the sin in in your life, overlaid with with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. You deal with sin as you're listening to the Holy Spirit. He guides, he leads. So walk, walk by the Spirit be led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. This is the first group of freedom practices, hiking to freedom. I, I wonder if you can imagine what your life would look like, what this church would look like, if instead of resorting to your own wisdom or your own habits of survival or your old dysfunctional ways of maybe coping with life, instead of resorting to those things, what would it look like if you walked by the Spirit, that you were led by him and that you kept in step with him. So that's hiking to freedom. And the second group of of freedom practices, well, first 
you know, it's important to say that these aren't freedom theories. You know, you don't walk away from here going, that was a, a nice sermon, right? But these aren't freedom theories. These are freedom practices. These are things that we need to be living out and working out in our own lives. So the second, uh, uh, second set of uh, freedom practices has a theme of agriculture. Uh, so let's call them growing to freedom. So we've got um, hiking to freedom and growing to freedom. And they are these. Sowing to the Spirit, chapter 6, 7 to 9. And then not waiting in the Spirit, but awaiting in the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 5. And thirdly, bearing fruit in the Spirit, chapter 5, 24, uh, 22 to 2. 24. So first, sowing, sowing to the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 7 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, i.e. sowing to the Spirit, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not give up doing something good. How many times do we start sowing, sowing in the Spirit, sowing, sowing to the Spirit, start doing the right thing or the good thing only to give up because it's hard, because it hurts, because it requires something of us? You know, I would say that probably any farmer knows that to plant a seed requires the ground to be broken up, that it requires violence, it, it, it requires hurt that that surface of the ground that was smooth and it looked nice is now chewed up with a big furrow through it it looks ugly it looks painful it looks messy but it's only the ground that is broken up that can receive the seed planted in faith to the spirit that reaps life eternal and then we wait. After we sow, then we wait. Sowing leads to awaiting. Chapter 5, verse 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. I, like I've mentioned in the past, I love these verses that seem to sum up so much incredible stuff. You know, it says here, through the Spirit, we, we eagerly await. And it's by faith. And what are we eagerly waiting? The righteousness, this rightness for which we hope. Friends, this isn't hopeless waiting. This isn't nervous waiting. This isn't forced waiting. It's an eager awaiting. And I would say that in this context, awaiting is not the same as waiting. If I said to you, I'm waiting for you to call then that says something to you, right? But if I said to you, um, I'm, I'm awaiting your call, isn't that more exciting? Wouldn't you be more likely to ring me if I told you I was awaiting your call than if I was waiting for your call, right? We don't wait for Christmas. We, we, we await it. And in the same way, we are awaiting the righteousness for which we hope. We know that someday we're going to have that moment when sadness or sin or brokenness 
no longer casts shadows on our relationship with, with our Father. It will be perfect. It will be incredible. It will be right. It will be that moment when we see Jesus face to face and we await that moment through the Spirit because it's the Spirit who communicates spiritually to us in this very moment the physical presence of Jesus, the Jesus that we are awaiting. So we have the power through the Spirit to not live in resignation or hopelessness, but in eager anticipation. And, this, and it's this anticipation that one day everything will be made right. It's that anticipation that enables us to get up each morning, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the confusion or the mess or the sickness around us. And we can look in the mirror and we, and we can say one day, Holy Spirit, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. But while I await that moment, I have you. It's, it, it, it's the awaiting the Spirit in faith now that makes it possible to see Jesus face to face later. So we await. Now, don't get me wrong. The awaiting is not just is is not just waiting for heaven. Yes, the new heavens and the new earth is our ultimate hope. But there's actually something a bit closer, a bit nearer in time that we can look forward to, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. Because after the sowing and after the awaiting comes the harvest, comes the bearing, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. When Nathan and I were talking about this message earlier in the week, Nathan told me that when a fruit tree is planted, uh, you, sh- you don't expect it to bear fruit in the first year. And so I messaged my, uh, my um horticulturalist on call, Mrs. Plenty O'Reilly, and I asked her that. I said, is this true? And she texted me back, and this is what she said. She said, a fruit tree will not bear fruit the first year after transplant. Really, depending on its age and size, any fruit that starts in the first one to three years should be pinched to encourage all the energy to go to the roots. So, If you want to see fruit in your lives, you need to be willing to let it stand and grow and take root and settle. But then, at the right time, which is not up to you, it's up to the Holy Spirit, at the right time, the fruit comes. And we cannot control the fruit of the Holy Spirit We can only place ourselves, like I said earlier, in the best circumstances for this fruit to show up, which means ensuring that we are growing and we are connected, that we're in a small group, that we're reading our Bibles, that we're regularly praying, that we're taking times of silence and solitude, that we're meeting together for worship and and the Word. That's what we can do. That's how we can sow to the Spirit. And then we wait. And when it comes... The fruit, that fruit of the Spirit spirit is glorious. It is love and joy and peace and, and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control. So, friends, let's sow to the Spirit and eagerly await this spiritual fruit that you cannot force, but which the Holy Spirit loves bringing about in his saints. He loves it. So as we wrap up our series, we are called to hike to freedom. 
as we walk by the Spirit, as we're led by the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit, and we're called to grow in freedom. Now, I, I wonder for you, which, which of the analogies speaks to you? Which, which resonates with you? For me, it's the hiking. I assume for Wendy, you know, it's the growing, but Wendy also likes hiking. But, you know, for you, I, which one speaks to you? Which one ministers to your soul? Is it hiking to freedom, or is it growing in freedom? This letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians is a letter for us. It's a letter for you. Just as Paul's heart broke over the Galatians' return to the slavery of the law, so God grieves when we choose to try to earn his love rather than receiving it in faith. And so this book, this book of Galatians, is a powerful knockout punch to you know, the, the uh, slavery to the sin and the law in our lives and it's also a powerful call to live in freedom uh this freedom that christ set us free to and so friends if you're christ's this morning but you know that you've retreated back into patterns of slavery then talk to someone you trust and take the risk of being honest confess your sins and find freedom and if you've never known this freedom. If you've never trusted Jesus, then you can do it this morning, either as we sing this last song, or by talking to me afterwards, or we can get together, maybe have a coffee later on. But this is important. You know, this isn't just a theory of freedom. It's a practice of freedom. It's something that you actually have to do. And so, as we close, I want to leave you with, with two verses, two verses that really deserve a whole sermon themselves. But I simply want to read them to you and allow God to preach them into your minds and hearts. Here is the first one. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation.